narrative. Welcome to Sports, Clips, and Politics with your hosts, Ben Husong and me, Sean Hannon. Oh no, the camera's not working. That might help our ratings, actually. Talk. All right, welcome to another episode of Sports, Clicks, and Politics. I am Ben Hughesong, along with Sean Hannon, here to separate the news from the noise and everything that's going on in the world. A uh, lot going on these days, both in sports and in politics, and we'll, uh, we'll have a little time to discuss some clicks as well. So if you're not paying attention, there we had the U.S. Open over the weekend. We had some NFL football going on, and we had the basketball playoffs down to what is the professional equivalent of the Final Four, which is always fun. So a lot of stuff happening that we want to discuss today. We're excited to be here. Thank you guys for joining us. Uh, we're going to start out with the U.S. Open. And U.S. Open Golf Championship at uh, Winged Foot down in uh, Lower State, New York. and Westchester. Westchester, thank you. My bad. You guys know we don't have any video. I'm working on that. So, the goal of this course was the winner was going to shoot, was it eight over par? That's what we all heard, yes. Eight over par. And, I mean, for the most part, the course lived up to its reputation. Uh, The third place grouping was at two over par. The second place winner, I don't know, the silver medalist for the U.S. Open, the runner-up was at even par. But Bryson DeChambeau just threw a wrench in everybody's plans and came out at six under par for the win. Yeah, he. I mean, he pretty much dominated. Um, yeah, a six stroke win. I mean, he's. There was. It was. It was close until the last few holes. Uh, at one point, it was minus five, minus four after they both eagled nine. I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I thought it was going to be, you know, nip and tuck the rest of the way, but it wasn't. Uh, DeChambeau held on, and nobody else did. And he is now a major champion and probably the favorite to win the Masters. Yeah, Bryson DeChambeau is otherworldly level of talent going on right now and results. I mean, watching him swing a driver makes me feel like I should go to a weight room because I can't fathom how hard this man hits a golf ball. It's unbelievable. And does things very differently. He approaches the game differently than any other golfer. Uh, down to the little things, like all of his clubs are the exact same length. All of his irons and his wedges, he just changes the angles. No other golfer on tour does that. He takes sort of the the physics approach to the game, if you will. Uh, nobody else is doing that based on the results we're seeing. Uh, I have to expect some other people are going to start adopting some of these. Um, yeah, I, I feel like he's the first guy, but not going to be the last guy to try all this stuff, right? I mean, if especially if he succeeds. I mean, obviously, you got to have success for that to work um but it seems to be working he is clearly having success and you know he's going to i don't know if it's uh inspire or what what but he's going to take on this leadership role and the young you know young golfers and they're all going to try to emulate him so i think some of the older ones will too uh because it'll save you some time and it'll get you uh some years back if you will yeah especially if you if you the guys who haven't had success i can see that being something that Mm -hmm. they're like if they've uh you know for they're a journeyman golfer kind right. of thing, if they want to kind of, but still young enough to you know make changes. Can't but, teach an old dog new tricks, right? right? Maybe sometimes, but, but yeah. So and it's not only his approach. Some of it is just good old fashioned work ethic and effort. I mean, even after Saturday's round, he came out, talked to the press, did all the interviews, signed some autographs, and then went to the driving range because apparently something on his driver wasn't working exactly as he had wanted it to on his way to shooting a six under par for the tournament. So at, I think it was 9 or 10 o'clock at night, he's on the driving range at Winged Foot trying to straighten out his uh, little bit of a, a offshoot with the driver. So my hat's off to the guy. I, he's, not a, he's not a widely popular golfer. No, he's People not. People don't like him. And well, some of that started, so I don't know, he's picked this up this year and it hasn't been an issue. So some of that early on, he was very methodical in his pace of play, which is a really very... nice way of saying slow. <laughs> so, but he has changed that too. Like that was yeah. part of his restart re regame too. And he has, you know, reinvented himself many ways. And that is one of them. So right. he seems a, a pleasant person. Uh, you know, I've, I've seen him be relatively engaging with fans and other golfers and whatnot, but I, you know, he's, it's my favorite part about having a conversation with anybody that follows golf about him is always, do you like him? No, not really. Why not? I don't know. 
Nobody knows why they don't like the guy. <laughs> they just don't like him. And maybe it's because he's new. Maybe it's because he's different. He's trying to change things. And if golf invites anything even more than most other sports, it's traditionalists and purists. Yeah. So it's the same way everybody hated all the, the money ball guys when they came out and they wanted to dismiss him and write him off. Maybe you're getting some of that too, where you got these traditionalists that are like, oh, you're going to... You're going to change this game, even though it's been around for hundreds of years. I don't know how true or false that is, but nobody seems to be able to explain why they don't like this guy. Um, yeah, I like him. I mean, I'm, maybe I'm just that guy because everybody else doesn't like him. I like him, but... Um, you, are you saying you're just a contrarian? No. Really? No. Okay. I would um, say you are. Um, but anyway, so he's a disruptor, right? So that's why I think why people don't like him, to be honest with you. Um, I hate that word so much. But he is. Just I mean, that's, so that's what he does. I'm a disruptor. I'm going to disrupt he is. He is disrupting, though, right? So like, that's, I think that's some of the reason why people don't like him. Um, I at least like him because he doesn't call himself a disruptor. So I guess that's a Yeah, plus. right. It's not his moniker. That's mine. So That's fair. As long as you're saying it about somebody else, I guess it's fine. Yeah, but as soon as somebody him. refers to themselves as a disruptor, I immediately want to hear from that person less. Well, so... Let's talk on some other sports here. So congratulations, yeah. DeChambeau. I'm probably going to be the odds-on favorite at the Masters, I'm guessing, by, by, a, by a wide margin. So Hard to argue. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> also, in sports, we have that we're down to the conference finals in the NBA. Mm-hmm. So our uh, pro Final Four, if you will. Uh, Lakers are playing the... Uh, the Nuggets, who upset the Clippers in the uh, round two, and now we have uh, the Lakers, Nuggets, and Heat Celtics in our final four. Did you see the game last night? Just uh, a little bit of it towards the end. Anthony, Anthony Davis. That's unbelievable. So LeBron finally has a guy. Uh, listen, I hate when you it's speak It's the first Ill. time. I hate when you speak ill of Mo Williams like this. Easy. All right, Mo Williams was the guy. Let's I, not th- pretend otherwise. How, right. Well, that's how sad the, that it was, right? That's his other guy. He had Shaq for a year. Yeah, when he was 60. I mean, um, listen, he did have the years listen, with Dwayne is, Wade. And, and in all seriousness, like, this is really the first time where LeBron doesn't have to be the guy in every moment, right? So this was a design play for somebody else in the biggest shot mm-hmm. of the game. And you could argue that, you know, it's it, it could, this is going to eventually be AD's team. And right. this is just the beginning of but it. But it's not the first time because when he was in Miami, he did have Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosch. Sure. And they were, sure. they were and that, not half their prime. Look how many won the championships they won. Exactly. Right? So, like, it's, it's, it's hard. I mean, so I'm not a huge LeBron fan. I mean, the guy's unbelievably great. Don't get me wrong. And people hate on him for whatever. Um, but people hate on him because he's decided he's, that he's going to get involved in a lot of for things. For sure, and for sure. No. He's like this warning sign of athletes of why you don't want to do this because inevitably you're going to get to the point of hypocrisy. Yeah. It's an inevitability. You can't help it. And it came to I think it came to a head for him. It was always there was always the dislike of him because he wanted to be Jordan and the the old guys are all like, No, you're not, or whatever, fine. I think LeBron James is probably more talented and an all around better basketball player than Michael Jordan. That's neither here nor there. But it got different when he came out uh, against Daryl Morley last year talking about how he stood with the protesters that were pro-democracy uh, in Hong Kong. And yeah, he's, LeBron he's, James came out and was like, oh, he was just not educated on the topic, and that's going to affect people spiritually and financially. Yeah, and everybody kind of went, "Yeah, no, he's, on. <laughs> he's got <laughs> some issues what? with that. You know. But on the, on the field or on the court, Unbelievable. He, he is, I guess I'm saying is, you know, I, I think it's the Lakers. I think they win this series now. Um, the Heat Celtics series on the other side. I think it's still Jimmy Buckets takes that team. Like I, I, love, I, that I love the 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 team that they have. Like they have a lot of players. They go deep, um, and that should be a pretty good finals with uh, Lakers Heat if that's how it turns out. So um, we also had Week Two in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, sure did, buddy. I think are your Bills uh, as advertised? I mean. I, I am by nature. I, I see a you're rocking the Buffalo Bills Homer shirt today, hey, buddy. So it was a weird feeling when the Bills got the ball in the fourth quarter, and and I thought to myself, you know what, they're going to score. And as a Bills fan, that's deeply concerning because I've never had that before <laughs> in my entire life. Of, optimism, right? Like not even optimism, just like a comfort of like I'd be really surprised if they didn't score instead of being like. God, please just let him get one pass interference penalty down the field so they can get in the field goal range. Like, it's a very different feeling. Josh Allen still misses too many easy throws. He still has some erratic problems on decision-making, uh, and I think he runs too much, and if you're going to run, for the love of God, slide or get out of bounds. But I, I'm telling you what, he 
he hits the throws when they need to be hit. I, I would love a little better accuracy, but it's hard to argue with the results you're seeing through two weeks here. It's yeah, I think he's I think he's legit. Um, I think the Bills are legit. You know, there's you, it's still week two, and obviously anything can happen with injuries, and we've seen a lot of injuries in the last right. couple of weeks. So you know, who knows? But you know, they need their linebackers uh, on the field. On the field with their players, they look like they're a contender. So yeah, I was. Um, I also do think that even though they lost, the Patriots looked pretty good yesterday. Hey. Um, so I'm not guaranteeing the, the the division to the Bills, but I think it's theirs for the taking. So I, Cam Newton in New England is going much better than I thought it would. And I, hats off to him, hats off to Bill Belichick. I mean, they're they're getting it done in a way that I was I'm surprised by. Yeah. I I still think you're gonna have the step down because as good as Cam Newton is, he is simply not Tom Brady. Sure. So it's gonna it's not as Big of a gap as it once was, I guess is the best no way doubt. to say that. So no, no I still think it's we'll the Bills. It. I still think it's the Bills division. Uh, the I, other New York teams look terrible. Um, oh, the, the Giants had a. Well, let's start with the Jets. They the, might be the, the worst Jets, football team. You see, they they gave up a rush on like the very first play of the game. <laughs> it was right? an 80-yard touchdown run on the exact first play from scrimmage, which is the only thing this team's supposed to do well is run defense. That's the only thing they can hang their hat on. Well, 80-yard touchdown, first are. play from scrimmage, and so they they the the only thing that's probably their saving grace is the Giants are probably worse. Um, and with the potential loss of Barkley, I'm guessing they're already on the clock. So the Giants got a vivid reminder this weekend of why you don't draft running backs in the top five of the draft. It can be dangerous. No matter how talented they are, no matter how good they are, there's too many injuries that occur, and the odds of you fulfilling the full potential for five seasons is so low that that's why it doesn't make sense. Versus, yes, the the lower-tier guys are not as good as Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott, or some of these other guys, but the production doesn't drop off enough, and there's so many injuries at the position that it's a hard thing to justify what you have to invest in those running backs over the long haul. So the Giants did it. They rolled the dice, and now I'm pretty sure that uh, Saquon Barkley is going to confirm any minute now that he does, in fact, have a torn ACL, and he will be done for the season. The Giants' hopes of winning will also be going down the train, especially because the NFC East somehow looks better than I thought it would. Washington is not the dumpster fire I yeah, thought I th- they were well, going to be. I think, it's, I think the Eagles are terrible. I, they look in a little bit of disarray here. I mean, yeah, it's um, a bad start. But the, Gi- I mean, the Giants are bad. But I do think the Redskins are better, definitely better than they were last year. And I, I think and the Cowboys, the Cowboys are, are, it's their, I mean, I don't know if you saw, did you see the Falcons, how they lost yesterday? I didn't see the game. Well, they, they came back from like 20-something down. In the, I saw that. The, they recovered an onside kick where the Falcons guy was backing up, letting the, the guy who could jump on it at any time and cover the onside kick and end the game was backing up, letting it go 10 yards, and the Cowboys jumped on it and got the ball. Like, it, he just let it go. He could have jumped on the ball at any time at 7 yards, 8 yards, Old. 9 yards. <clears throat> Old. I'm pretty sure he's going to need a coach up. Um, well, some, some of these special teams things that are happening is – embarrassing i mean, um, I don't think they changed the rules like they did in golf where you know all these crazy things like in right. the nfl like cover the ball so i don't know the, the falcons imploded basically in that game but you know Dak, Dak was yeah Dak was unbelievable um so the cowboys are legit too again it's week two we'll see what happens um the only thing that genuinely made me nervous <laughs> watching the bills game i thought they should have beat that team by more than they did but you're I think on the, the road. dolphins are actually better than people think that they, they, than only that it. Any time that Ryan Fitzpatrick is on the field, he makes me nervous. It's Whether magic. he's quarterbacking my team or the other team, I am nervous about Ryan Especially Fitzpatrick. when he's quarterbacking against his old team. Uh, it's unbelievable. Yeah. So. I, I don't understand how he does this. It's magic. It's, oh, God, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> let's, switch, let's switch gears. Let's, let's go to uh, somehow um, our, what was it, episode 14 guest? Uh, Bill Hammond from the Empire Center is yep. part, I don't know if you guys heard this, the Empire Center is suing the Cuomo administration um, over withholding the nursing home data that they filed their FOIL request for. So um, this is something we're going to pay attention to. This is something that we've kind of been talking about here for the last few weeks is this nursing home death count um, and how it's so disproportionate from reality, really, I guess, um, and why New York is counting their nursing home deaths differently than everybody else, all the other states, mm-hmm. um, coupled with the executive order from the governor and how this is all played out in the actual data here. Right. Um, so 
Go ahead. I was going to say that just a quick background, if anybody is not aware of this, uh, March 25th, Governor Cuomo signs an executive order saying that all nursing homes in New York State cannot deny admission or readmission to a nursing home resident due to a positive COVID-19 test. They also cannot test for COVID for the people coming in. So the concern was that if you had somebody taking up a hospital bed who could have been in the nursing home, that you were going to overwhelm the health system, and that was the big concern, so they didn't want them in there. Now, the problem with that, of course, is hospitals got all priority on PPE. Nursing homes got none. A lot of the nursing homes wrote to the governor's office and said, we have no PPE. They were largely ignored and threatened that they would lose their license if they did not follow these orders. So they didn't even track the the data of who was dying from nursing homes until mid-April. They, they weren't even paying attention to it, which is mind-boggling in and of itself, but they started to, but because they were concerned about double counting, this is the official line. If I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. I don't know why. Um, th- they started counting it. If you got sick in the nursing home but then went to a hospital and died in the hospital, they counted you as a hospital death, not as a nursing home death because they didn't want to double count. So every other state and the federal government, if you got sick in a nursing home, it didn't matter where you died. You were a nursing home death because you lived in a nursing home or a long-term care facility. Therefore, you died there. So... New York State then use these numbers that they know are being counted differently and lower than everywhere else in the country and actually used it as justification and proof showing that their policies were good and they were doing really well on nursing homes. It was the single most disingenuous act I've ever seen a politician try to make. And that's a really long list. But like not even trying to say it's different. Everybody knows it's different. Everybody knows the data is not comparable and you decide to use it anyway. All right. So the Empire Center files a freedom of information request back in August and say, we want to know how many nursing home residents actually died. New York State took their full 30 days and then came back and said, well, we can't find those records. We're going to diligently search for them. The absolute earliest we expect to have them for you is November 5th. Convenient. The balls. Oh, my God. Like, if that was really the date and an intern came to you and said, well, the earliest we'll get them is two days after the national election, you'd have said, well, we obviously can't say that. So let's say end of October, early November. But instead, it was a giant middle finger to everybody and anybody from the governor's office saying, yeah, screw you. We do have it. We don't care. Um, Now, we had the opportunity to interview Mr. Hammond. And what I was kind of what I took away from it, what I was surprised by is he's not on our side of this. He does he's, not agree with a lot of the things you and I would be saying about right. it. He's, I think he's closer to our side than the governor. Um, well, but yes, you're right. He's not, like, I think we are farther along on the number count than he is. I think he actually thinks Governor Cuomo was doing a pretty good job and the lockdowns were good and we should have masks and we should do all of these things and they're all helping. And the only thing he wants to know is, wait, the nursing home numbers don't make sense. We got to get that right so we can learn and figure out what happened. Right. So, listen, I, mean, I do think he's genuinely interested in finding the number. Correct. He doesn't have any vendetta. Like, right. listen, if I ask Governor Cuomo this, it's because I'm out to prove that he's wrong. I don't think that's what Bill Hammond is doing at all. I, I was surprised the at governor how... governor disagree, but... Right, yeah, that's fine. I mean, if you're covering something up, everybody's an enemy, that's sure. for sure. But here's my concern, and I, you and I talked about this earlier. If you aren't releasing these numbers right now, they're bad. Right. And he could be taking victory laps... Kind of, if the numbers were even just 50% or 60%, because the surrounding states are closer to 70%. Yep. And so, if he's not given those numbers, it's more than 50%, which is terrible. And Mm -hmm. if it's closer to 70%, which is like Pennsylvania and Massachusetts, where they're like 68 and 70%, I think. Yep. We're talking about 22, 23, 24,000 people who have died from these facilities in the state. So what he's saying is that if you look at the overall death counts of total number of deaths in a state versus total number of nursing home and long-term care residents, most states, the average is right around 45%. In the states that had executive orders similar to New York, nursing home residents made up about 65 to 75% of the overall deaths. So if you apply that to New York State's numbers where we have about 34,000 deaths, if it's 45%, which is the national average roughly, you're talking about roughly 18,000, no, I'm sorry, 16,000 nursing home residents passed away, not the official 6,500 number that we've yeah, been Yeah, the 6,500 number is BS. It's nonsense. But 
if it's closer to the states that had similar orders, you are talking about twenty-five Massive to 28,000 people in nursing homes that died who, I'm sorry, but it was unjustifiable. To keep it in effect for as long as you did was beyond any sort of right, reason. Especially when there's, you know, comparison like the governor of California who, you yeah. know, rescinded his in a few days. So, and our governor and the New Jersey governor kept theirs for six, seven weeks. Right. So it had to play a role for their internal investigation to say it didn't play a role. Again, is BS. There's been calls. Both parties are now trying to get an independent investigation going, um, which I think is more than needed. I think yep. it's, you know, that this should be something that every, every party, no matter what party you belong in, you should be wanting to know what happened here because the data keeps coming in and New York state, nobody's coming close to where our, the, the, the amount of death that we had in our state. Not even close. In, no. and, and, and if you just want to pair New Jersey, it is massive amounts from just those two states. Um, and it's, it's, those numbers are going to be terrible. You know, I, it's hard for me to, you know, I want, I want the numbers and I already feel like I don't believe them. Even if they've already, they're not even out yet. Right. Well, so here's the problem. One of two things is true. We've covered this before, it, but it, it doesn't, it's no less true now. Here's what happened. Either New York State is going to have in excess of 20,000 nursing home residents died, some of which can be directly attributed to this executive order, or somehow we managed to lose people that should not have been at such a high risk. At least in the nursing homes, you could say these are the people that were high at risk. These were the people that were going to pass away from this virus. If it wasn't them, who well, died? Right. Well, the age stratification still shows it's it's probably them and we all me and you at least believe it is them um if it's not it was just other elderly people because again the average age of death is in the upper 70s so wh- whatever the number actually turns out to be in new york um i hope the empire center gets that information Amen. they've been on this for for weeks if not months um You know, I think we all deserve that number, and I look forward to the Empire Center kind of making this happen here. Um, And I look forward to our legislature getting off their asses and actually holding the governor accountable um, with an independent investigation. Wouldn't that Um, be nice? It would be nice. Um, I know there's some, you know, depending on who actually uh, organizes the the panel who's doing the investigation, there's always going to be some kind of uh, uh, dependence, if you will, so it's not going to be truly independent, but... There needs to be some some other one's eyes looking at this other than the, the New York Department of Health and the governor's administration. I mean, are you questioning their objectivity? Yes. Oh, well, all right. Fair enough. I can't really argue with that because any any benefit of the doubt, any deference I was willing to offer flew out the window when the Department of Health came out with their report on we did our own investigation and the conclusions were legitimately of the governor's executive order had no impact. People in nursing homes died because the workers got them sick and their families got them sick. That accounts for all the death. Uh, it also said that the governor's executive, the New York state actually did better than most other states with regards to nursing homes, even though they were using data they knew to be, if you don't want to call it faulty, fine, different than every other state was doing it. But they somehow compared that as if it was apples to apples. Not a mistake you could make, honestly. And then they concluded by saying it wasn't really the law in the first place. I'm sorry, what? Well, as you see, if you look under these codes, it says right in here that a nursing home is not allowed to take care of or take anybody in who they can't provide proper care for. And obviously in a pandemic, that would include having proper PPE. Really? Because for six weeks, people were asking you about this and you never brought that up one time. So yeah, weird they, that actually, now you come up with that. They modified the, the his executive order. May 10th. Know, yeah. So there, there was some modification to make sure they could highlight that, but it was it was already out. So, Six weeks. Um, like, um, if you're giving this, this administration any benefit of any doubt, it's nothing more than you want it to be the case. There is no objective reason for doing it whatsoever. They have shown they are lying, they are obstructing, they are hiding, and they are covering up. And if you're not the least bit... Uh, listen, I don't even, you don't even need to be troubled by it. You don't need to be annoyed by it because maybe you really don't care, which is fine. But if you're going to come out here and tell me that Andrew Cuomo is doing this wonderful job and, and Donald Trump's the problem because he downplayed the severity of the virus, I look, this is just partisan politics at this point. Uh, 
look at the look at the data. It's not it's not rocket yeah, so, science. Something happened terrible, ro- terribly wrong in New York, and mm-hmm. you know what? It's going to be what happened. We're going to when we we're going to find out when we get an actual number from these nursing homes. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it's not going to be pretty one way or another. No. So that's why they're going to do this after the election, if, if any if way possible, yeah. because they can and because nobody cares. And this is where anytime I start to think like, well. You know, people are smart, and there's no way that you could just pull off, like, any sort of massive um, disinformation campaigns. There's too much information out there. I'm just reminded by the fact that our governor has an 80% approval rating when it comes to his handling of the coronavirus pandemic. 80%. Double the deaths of anybody else. 80% approval rating. Yeah. And like I said, some of that is, you know, just the lack of reporting on specifically this issue um, but the, the, there should be every day should be what happened in New York should be the headline, not some kind of crazy case number that seems arbitrary at best. So, well, not only that, we just kept being told, we'll wait three weeks, wait till you see what happens in Texas and in Florida, yeah, right. and in Arizona, yeah, nothing. We waited. Guess what happened? They stayed lower than us by and a lot. And now we're going to wait for SUNY Oswego or SUNY Oneana or any of these other oh, SUNY maybe. schools until nothing happens there too. And we're going to you know, ruin all these kids' education They're along the way here. I don't want to get into that right now. That's fine. And the other part of this that we do have to test on is still the fact that we are testing this, uh, the PCR test to 40 cycles instead of 32, which means the numbers of positive cases we're seeing are nonsense. Yeah, they're distortedly high. Right. We, and I'm we don't know how many That's the have. same thing. Like, I don't know. Maybe you do. Is the PCR test the same test they're doing on the people who are have been died so like are these deaths distortedly high too right so yes keep in mind it's also it's the pcr test run to 40 cycles instead of 32 and it's anybody especially early on presumed covid right didn't even need a positive test presumed covid so yeah yes the death rate this is what i mean we did not the numbers are high right listen i and i don't want to sound like i'm i'm dismissing this virus like it was nothing it wasn't nothing it was very very scary especially for it was mismanaged certain population of people correct and the problem is once you started saying 190,000 people died with COVID, that's not the same as 190,000 people dying of COVID. I mean, you had a guy that you had people that were dying of other causes, but they had a positive COVID test. And of course, the reason is simple. Anytime the government subsidizes anything, you get more of it. So if you're paying hospitals more for a death that is of or with COVID, you're getting extra money. Guess what you're going to do? You're going to test everybody in the hopes that even if they died of a heart attack, they had COVID because you can't do elective procedures. You can't fill your hospital to the normal capacity that you need in order to make money. You're about to furlough workers. You're about to lay them off. And then this thing comes up where you can make extra money by the person who already passed away. If you can say they had COVID-like symptoms, you get an extra $20,000 and you can't figure out why that happened. Uh, this isn't rocket science, and this I'm not saying anybody is wrong or evil for doing that. It's what's going to happen. Yeah. So Ugh. I do want to break a little bit of maybe political breaking news before we get into our big story here, but I don't know if you know the, the National Libertarian Party adopted the porcupine as our official logo officially, so now we can join the, uh, the Republican elephant and the Democrat donkey, and now we have a porcupine in the mix. So I mean, I can sleep at night finally. Yes. Thank God. So, Go well, get congratulations your por- go get your to the libertarians. Shirts. Yes. All right. So let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about um, probably the story that's going to resonate here for I don't know now through oh, election God. day at least. Um, it and depending on what happened, maybe even past election day, I guess. So yep. Um, you guys probably all know uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away uh, at eighty-seven uh, a few days ago, um, setting off a firestorm of. Uh, political back and forth between the two parties about how and when to replace her on uh, the Supreme Court. Um, she's a, she's from Brooklyn, so she's a New Yorker. She went to uh, Cornell, known as Kiki Bader by her sorority sisters. Sure. Known fact. I didn't know that, actually. Uh, well, I know one of her sorority sisters just by chance. So well, there you there go. You go. I got a little inside information there. So, um, yes, so she passed away. Um, so, before we dive into the ugly side of yeah. all of this that is now going to occur... This we should point this out. This woman's amazing. amazing. What she was able to accomplish in her life is just absolutely mind-boggling. She is a tremendous role model, particularly for young girls. As somebody who has a young daughter, go out and do this because she came out and did it right. I love what she stood for from that standpoint. 
can't say that I agreed with her analysis sure. of constitutional law. I, I come from a little bit of a different school of thought. But it doesn't make me respect her any less of what she was able to accomplish with her life at a time when women were not doing this. Yeah. This so was, you can take her accomplishments as a person, and they're right. unbelievable. Remarkable. And, right, and the fact that where she grew up is, right. And why I think one of the most, from where she grew up, she got married, she did all this stuff, her husband was exceedingly supportive of this. She rose to the highest level of her profession, which was especially then a male-dominated profession, and through her ability, her intelligence, her wit, she was able to rise to the top of this profession and had a long and very successful, very storied career in that position. And I think one of the things I like best about her is until he passed away back in 2016, uh, Antonin Scalia, who couldn't have been a more polar opposite view, uh, excuse me, couldn't have taken a more polar opposite view of the Constitution than Ruth Bader Ginsburg, they were tremendously close friends up until he died. That they were always there to, they, they could disagree on everything, and it never became a she's an idiot, he's a moron, she doesn't care about people, how can you be okay with murdering everybody? Like, it never got to that. They understood that their differences were in a process of law, and they were always able to discuss things and have a tremendous respect for one another, which, eh, let's just call it what it is, we don't have that anymore, at least not not no. nearly what we used to do. No, I mean, I, I think in private you do, probably, for some places, but even that's starting to road a little bit. I mean, there's definitely people who I have feel like have been friends, you know, not me personally. I'm sure there are probably are, but like right. I know of other people who are friends or were friends who are no longer friends because of politics, which is a little crazy. Um, right. So, yeah, I mean, it's okay to disagree and not demonize the uh, the person you disagree with, I guess. Um, go are ahead. you sure? Because I feel like that's not accurate any longer. Well, I'm pretty I sure. I mean, it may be popular, but it's inaccurate. Right. Um, so, but, yeah. yeah, so now she un- uh, can't. Be it's a sad day for the country. I, honest to God, I it, it really is, and she was tremendous, and I have the utmost respect for her. Um, now that she has passed away, you have six weeks, forty six days, or something. Forty six days until the presidential election, and the president. The way that our system of government works for nominating Supreme Court justices is that the president nominates the person of his choosing to fill a seat on the Supreme Court. The Senate, not the House of Representatives, just the Senate, is then tasked with advice and consent, meaning they must approve of said Senate, or excuse me, said judicial candidate. And if that happens, then the justice is confirmed and they join the Supreme Court. Now, there's going to be an outcry, and it's already happening, and they're demanding. It's it's in full gear. They're demanding demonstrations in the street. They're going to go attack these senators in their homes and go after them to make sure that they don't do this. Because in 2016, Antonin Scalia died in March, I believe it was, the end of March, early April. Uh, And he was a very conservative justice. Barack Obama was in the last year of his term. And the Republicans controlled the Senate. So when the Republican-controlled Senate under Mitch McConnell, they said, well, Barack Obama wants to nominate uh, Merrick Garland, a, a more liberal justice for the Antonin Scalia seat. And Mitch McConnell said, no, said that we're not going to do it. It's an election year and we're going to let that go because the Republicans have the Senate. We're not going to approve who he puts up. So it's going to sit there at eight until we get a new president. And then if a Democrat wins and they want to nominate somebody, no problem. Or if a Republican wins, they'll get to nominate somebody. So there was some outcry about that, which well-founded. I mean, it, it, it was, it's politics, so I'm, sure. not, I'm not surprised by it. Um, and he said, look, if it was a Republican president, yeah, we probably would. Or if it was a Democrat Senate, they probably would nominate. But the way it is right now, we have two different parties, and the Senate is not a subservient body to the president. The president can nominate whoever he wants. We are under no obligation to approve of them just because he wants to. We have our own autonomy, and we can do how we want So now we have a Republican president in an election year, and I'll be damned if Mitch McConnell isn't going to go ahead and approve of the candidate that that, uh, Donald Trump puts up within six weeks instead of with the nine months he had under Barack Obama. Oh, it's going to happen. Of course it's going to happen. So can I go into the other part of this that's even more fun? So now we've got all the calls for hypocrisy and how could Mitch McConnell do this and what a lying, skeeving son of a gun. I mean, it's hard to argue. Sure, it's just also called politics in america so anybody that's been following this for more than three and a half years probably already familiar with this 
there used to be a process called a filibuster where the minority party could literally just get up and talk until you ran out of time and then the majority party could not nominate somebody to do that. We don't have a filibuster anymore for judicial nominations. Weird. We, that went away in 2013. So if you want to... And they no longer require 60 votes to... Uh, correct. To, to prevent uh, the filibuster. Right. So that used to be the other thing is a 60, per, 60 persons in the majority of the Senate was a supermajority, meaning you couldn't even filibuster because you could get just shut out and told to sit down and shut up by a 60% majority. Now... Little backstory of, um, it goes back further than this, but I got to draw the line somewhere. So just, to, I think it effectively proves the stupidity of the back and forth that we've had for the last 20 years. George W. Bush was nominating some judicial candidates that the minority Democrats took objection to. So they started using the filibuster on a lot of his judicial nominees, and the Republican majority talked about the nuclear option of ending the filibuster. And all the Democrats came out and said, you can't do that. It would be a travesty to the country. It would be so irreparable in the damage that we could never get by ever again. Senator Harry Reid at the time said it would be a, uh, it would ruin the country if we did away with the filibuster. Luckily, a, uh, a resolution was reached where seven Republicans agreed to not, to not support ending the filibuster. And seven Democrats agreed to stop filibustering all of the judicial candidates. So they made an accord, and great. And Harry Reid came out of time and said, thank God, because it would have ruined the country. And they said, well, would you have done it? He said, as long as I'm the leader of the party, we will never do away with the filibuster. So that was 2005. So then Barack Obama wins the presidency in 2008. And the Republican Party, now in the minority, starts filibustering a lot of his executive appointees and judicial appointees. And as children will be children, the Republicans continued to filibuster everybody that he was putting up. So then they, the Democrats floated the idea of maybe it is time. And sure enough, Harry Reid came out and said, you know what? The country demands change, and it's blocking everything we want to do. We have to do away with the filibuster. So they did away with the filibuster for uh, appellate and district court nominees, not for Supreme Court nominees. So they couldn't, so the Republicans could still filibuster if they wanted to on Supreme Court. So then the Republicans come into power. And now they have the Senate, Donald Trump has the office, and they extended that to include Supreme Court nominees, which is, in my opinion, not a huge step forward, and it was basically an inevitability. So now the Democrats have almost no recourse from a procedural standpoint to stop a nominee from occurring and from being approved. So am I telling you it's right? No. Am I saying it's wrong? No. I'm saying it's politics. And I'm saying that this is the problem with our current system of we have two children fighting continuously for the last 50 years and everybody wants to believe the side that they aligned with is the good guys and the other side is the unethical bad guys let's just put an end to this right now they're all children they're all unethical they're all corrupt they're all devious some of them are effective some of them are not but you're talking about a problem that is so much bigger than where we are right now and this is just the most inevitable consequence that was going to occur as soon as this happened. Am I wrong? No, you're, you are exactly right. And, you know, it's not going to stop no matter what the outcome is here, too. It's going to move forward ping-ponging back and forth for every future administration that there is as long as there's, there are only two parties that get to play control. So um, I read somewhere the Democrats have already raised $100 million off of this. I, so, so this is the game. Oh, my God, the travesty, the tragedy of it all. you got to send us money so that we can take that party out. Oh, they'll, they'll raise way more money with Trump in office than they will with Biden as president. So. Yes, they will. So, okay, let's go ahead, unless you had something to finish up. The on. only thing I – what did you want to go to? I just wanted to move forward with the potential replacements possible. All right, so here's my two cents on what's going to happen, and then this will actually lead right into okay. that. Donald Trump is going to nominate somebody. Mitch McConnell, for all of his less desirable qualities – is an exceedingly effective politician, which I don't think is actually a compliment, but no. take it as one, is going to go ahead and get it approved, get this person, it'll be a female, get her approved, and we will have a Supreme Court justice, which will then make this a huge campaign issue because there's going to be calls from the Democrat Party on, we need to pack the court. Pack the court means you add more justices. So right now we'd have a breakdown roughly of six conservative-leaning justices and only three liberals, which would throw off the balance. I mean, I don't know if you can really call John Roberts a 
conservative. He's much more of a moderate, but fine. Either way, it would give the conservatives an edge. So if you add two liberal justices in the next one, now you have restored the quote-unquote balance. And there is no rule saying the Supreme Court only has to have nine people. That's just been a tradition and a norm. So at some point, Joe Biden's going to go on the record and say, hey, are you going to pack the court? And if he does pack the court, who benefits? Do you think the Democrats give it out and vote so they can pack the court? Or do you think the more conservative anti-Trumpers shift around and end up voting for Trump to prevent the court packing? Right. Well, that will be the fight in the media for sure. And they will try to portray it as a, you know, an end, the end of democracy or whatever term they want to use. A threat to the it, republic. Yeah. If, if you know, Trump succeeds in whatever. Um it's going to be part of the show for the, from now until, till election day. Unfortunately, um, it's probably going to be a major part of it. Um, I'm excited for all these judicial hot takes. I got to tell you, cannot wait. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, must see TV. I don't know. I hate I doubt all it. of this, but this is I, all so dumb. Yeah. And I, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, the, the two nominees who seem to be, um, or potential nominees who seem to be at the least everybody's talking about, uh, Amy Coney Barrett, uh, and Barbara Lagora, um, everybody seems to be thinking it's going to be Barrett. Um, she was kind of in the final two, or at least in the final small handful um, during the Kavanaugh uh, process. Um, you know, it's been rumored out there that Trump has said that he was saving Barrett for Ginsburg, uh, if and when that happened. Uh, so it seems as though that's the likely nominee. Um or appointee, uh, Barbara Lagora kind of gives President Trump uh, maybe more of an out uh, politically. Uh, she is uh, more on the pro-choice side of uh, that position, and she's Cuban American, um, may possibly lessening the likening of the smearing or the attacking on, on her. Um, but I feel like it's going to be one of these two. I agree with you, and I I want to sort of clarify something or have you clarify it. She's not actually pro-choice. No, but her, when you, her position has been explained as she would not be a threat to Roe v. Wade. So, um, I don't know that Barrett's would be easier either. Um, she has, she is on record. She does not think that Roe v. Wade will ever go away. So I don't know if that means she thinks it would or, or, or if she would, if she could. Um, but I don't think that Lagora would. I think that's the, the rub between the two. All right. Um, Again, you know, this is we're going to get a nominee. Trump said Friday or Saturday, so we don't have to wait too long. We're going to know on Monday who who, who she is. So, yeah. um, again, it's going to be part of a you know another part of a just you know back and forth presidential campaign. And again, I think it's like forty five or forty six days, whatever's left. Something something too long. Um, if you thought Brett Kavanaugh was fun, oh, wait God. till you see this. Yeah, no, it's going to be like I said. I mean. I'm assuming that both of these ladies, if it is one of these ladies, are prepared for that, or at least prepared that they know what's going to happen. And anyone's prepared for that, I don't know. Um, but it's not going to come as a surprise. Uh, you know, they're going to be, uh, uh, you know, they're they're going to know that they're going to be hunted. And uh, you know, they seem both like strong strong people, and I I expect that they're you know going to be able to hold up, you know, on their on their record. So. Um, it's just that again, another crazy, not just 2020 thing, but now the election season, it's, it's shaping up to be quite a, quite a run to the finish here. It's, uh, it's going to be insane. What watching what this happens. And I don't think, I, I don't think it played well to the average voter watching what happened with the Brett Kavanaugh hearings. I, I don't think that played well. I don't think that resonated well with most people. I think that actually ended up hurting the Democrats at the polls more than it helped them. Um, and I think if you do that to a female candidate, it's going to play even worse because I, I don't just the, the basic human psychology of, of a more protective no, nature you. for towards females than males. And Brett Kavanaugh, whether you, you like the guy, dislike the guy, you could have felt sympathy for him and his family over it. But it's not like it ever looked like they were bullying him. It, it yeah. looked like he was kind of standoffish and went back and forth. Whereas I think when you have a female candidate who is, I mean, look at both of these women. Amy Coney Barrett is a mother of seven, uh, rose to this level of the judicial field while being a mother to seven kids, including two that she adopted from Haiti. 
Like, these are highly sympathetic people that are not going to take a brash, standoffish tone during these hearings. And then Barbara Lagora is the first-generation child of Cuban immigrants who came up and overcame what all of the things you have to overcome in that field to rise to this spot. Again, you're, you're going after people now. This isn't going and in, in attacking a white male this is going after a, a female and a, a, a minority female. I, I, you got to worry about the politics of this at some yeah, point. I mean, they'll definitely be having to thread a needle there um, to make it work, to make it land anyway. And like I said, I tend to agree with you that I, you know, just character and personal smears tend to go the exact opposite of right. what, what, what they're intended. And that's, you know, to listen, you know, there's some people who are, are dug in and it doesn't matter what, what happens. I mean, they're, they're on that side. But um, I do think that the Supreme Court gets used as justification enough to vote for one of the two parties that it was worth covering here just because it's going to be, again, just a gigantic part of the story here. Um, the obs- the exception I take to the Supreme Court and, and some of these, the reason I didn't, the reason I disagreed with Ruth Bader Ginsburg's approach, the reason I disagree with uh, Gorsuch's approach is I feel like as a country, we have continually let the legislature off the hook for doing anything. Everything is being decided either at the Supreme Court or by executive action, and it's the way that the legislator, legislature wants it because it absolves them of all responsibility. They can then turn around and say, can you believe that this happened? It's an outrage. Please send us money so we can overturn this, and then it doesn't get overturned. And it happens both ways. I mean, look, Trump came in, he had the Senate and the House. What got done on the Affordable Care Act? Even though they ran on, we're going to overturn Obamacare. Didn't happen. Obama came into office with a 60-person majority in the Senate and in the House. And they what did they do on gun control in that year? Did they do anything? No registry, no nothing, even though that was what they were running on. So you look at it and you go, all you're in the business of doing is generating more outrage. And I think the way they're allowed to do that, and, and I think that, when you take a more, what should the text say? Let's modernize the text for today's times. It's one more way we let the legislature off the hook. If you wrote a law in 1960 that said you can't discriminate on the basis of sex, yes, I agree that should probably now extend to sexual orientation, whatever else you want it to. Great. Send it back to the legislature and make them update the rules. That is how it works. Let them update it. Make them do their job. Stop giving all the power to the executive. Stop giving all the power to the justices. Make the elected officials in the legislature actually do their job instead of fundraising off the outrage when they pretend like all of this stuff is outside of their control because they don't have the votes and you got to send them more money so they can go and get it done. It's insanity to me. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's just broken. I mean, the whole system is broken. And like I said, I, you know, I've long blamed the two parties and I continue to blame the two parties. So, um, because those two parties are winning. They don't want anybody. How hard sure, is it? Listen, no. you've obviously been a part of a third party for a very long time. How hard is it for you guys to get on ballots and get on debates? It's, it's, well, we don't, we don't get in debates. So it's impossible. Is it because uh, Joe Jorgensen doesn't want to? Uh, it's, that's not the reason. Yeah. Um, the reason is the debate commission is owned by the two parties. So, huh. You know, they, they, after Ross Perot got in there and muddied the waters too much, uh, they uh, kicked the League of Women Voters out from hosting the debates, and now they created something called the Debate Commission, which is run by a bunch of Republicans and Democrats. So, Weird. Um, you know, and, and just personally, just talking about that specifically in New York State, we're, you know, we've been, we've been trying to, there's been election laws in place uh, for decades that have allowed minor parties to gain access, and they were very difficult in New York. Um, and then they just made them harder this year. So um, basically, Cuomo was mad at the Working Families Party for nominating somebody other than him, and so he had a vendetta against them and basically made election law um, vote, voting thresholds and petitioning signature collection thresholds, you know, triple in, in some spots. So um, during a short it's, cycle, it's it's right, and with you know, this was you know. We were supposed to have it for four years. We were only going to have it for two and whatever. It's it's crazy. But you're right that the two parties have kind of insulated themselves um, from competition. And as long as they can create the false illusion that they're against each other, they're really more for each other in the background than anything else. And like so most of the stuff out in the, on the open is show. But um, this this the Supreme Court stuff, I feel like, is something that gets used at the very top of uh, most people who are uh, who are trying to uh, – 
you know, shame one into voting for one party or the other. I think the Supreme Court gets used as a hammer sometimes. And it's a regular, it's a tool. It's an, listen, these people will use any tool at their disposal. That's the reality. Yeah. And I hear like, well, it should be three conservatives, three liberals, and three moderates. Like, right, because everybody fits so easily into yeah, one right. of those three categories yeah. with no overlap. Yeah. Like, yeah. listen, I would love that to be the case too, but you're talking about human beings, and we are at best subjective, at worst completely irrational. So what do, what do we do with this situation? And look, if you're of the mindset, you're going to look around at other people and say like, well, a vote for Trump is a vote for racism, or a vote for Biden is a vote against law and order. Please shut up. I can't with you anymore. Like, what about a vote for Joe Jorgensen as a vote for Trump? Or for Joe Biden. I've heard both. Did you I mean, know that both. you're voting for two other candidates? I get three votes vote? every year. See, you're winning. I'm telling you, like the rich superhero. get richer. I'm like a superhero. Exactly. It's the porcupine. That's what All right. it is. Mr. Hughesong, do you have anything else, any words of uh, wisdom before we let the folks get out of here? We do not have an interview for you guys today, so it's just me and Mr. Hughesong uh, banters. Um, anything to leave the folks with? Yeah, I mean, follow up on the last thought. Just... Remember, people are going to vote because there may be issues that are more important to them than they are to you, and that's okay. We don't need to jump down each other's throats just because this time it's a threat to democracy, just like Barack Obama was going to take us to socialism and George W. Bush was a tyrant hell-bent on world domination. Well, that's one of our other things is the important the election. This election, this election is too important to throw Waste your, your, to your vote, vote for on third a party, third party okay. candidate. Every the, election is too. The stakes are so high, Sean. This is a threat to the republic and a slap in the like face the, of democracy. It's kind of like the Bachelor when they have the most dramatic dramatic rose ceremony ever every week. Every <laughs> week, it's the most dramatic rose ceremony. This is the same thing that happens here, right? So all I'm saying, look, it's not going to stop until we all start listening and understanding. Because if you really believe that half the country or 45 percent of the country is really in favor of racism. You're insane. And if you really believe 45% of the people in this country are in favor of socialism and no law and order, you're insane. Stop. Actually listen to what people are saying, and they will tell you the truth of why they feel the way they feel. Stop letting these... What's the right word here? Stop letting these assholes at the top of these party dictate how you feel about all the other people in the country. They do not have your best interests in mind. How much money have the Democrats raised since Donald Trump has been in office? A lot. Unbelievable. If Joe Biden wins, guess who's going to raise more money? The Republicans. Weird how it keeps going back and forth. Just stop. Stop doing this to each other. Everybody should be able to disagree without it being that, well, you're evil, racist, and misogynist, and you don't care about small businesses. I, I didn't know I was doing all that with my vote. Thank you. Now I'm aware. So please be kind. Be That's kind all I got. Be kind as well. Well, good advice. All right, folks. Thank you for uh, tuning in. Sorry for the little video mix up at the beginning. We'll see you again next Monday uh, for, uh, again, lunch at 12. Uh, thank you again. Like and subscribe. Thanks, guys.